Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ahí va a llegar el gol del Arsenal Ophil. Marca Mesut Ophil. This is Arscast Extra. Hello there, welcome to another Arscast Extra. As always, with James from Gutter Blog, but not as always. There's no kind of morning to wish you. Um, no goodly, no, no badly, no middle of the roady morning. It's not morning. No, it's it's very much evening. Uh, we've had to dramatically reschedule things, which is great because it means I can do the podcast with an alcoholic drink, which is you know not really excusable when we normally record. Mm, me too, actually. I've got a glass of wine here, so. Um, so I've got a cider. I think there's sort of a difference in class between us that's illustrated by our, <laughs> you know, our choices. Maybe so, maybe so. But yeah. look, it's, it's that time of the evening. You know, I've had a couple of beers and uh, now it's time for a glass of wine, which should see us through um, this podcast. But um, I, have to, I have to say one thing to you, James. This weekend mm. I have been, I've been enjoying ham on ruffles. I'm, I'm furious. I've seen this via Instagram. Mm. How did you acquire them? Well, I didn't acquire them as such. They were presented to me as a gift. My daughter is home from Spain. She lives in Barcelona. And she said, uh, before she came over, she said, do you want anything? Do you want me to bring you back anything? And of course, people think, oh, you could get, you could get delicious Iberico ham, some olive oil, perhaps some wine from Spain, all the delicious cheeses that come from Spain. Many things that people associate with Spain that they could bring back. And I said, yes, I would like some ham on ruffles, please. And lo and behold, she came up trumps after years and years of parenting and investing uh, everything i have in that in that lady uh, she's uh, she's finally repaid some of that with a big you bag of ham well. yes a big bag of ham on ruffles so they're almost gone I was out last night. You know what I did? I went out uh, last night, Saturday mm. night for people who are listening to this tomorrow. Had a few beers, it was fine. I came home and I said, "You know what I'll do? I'll sit down, I'll have another drink and I will watch Rocky and Righty, that uh, documentary on BT Sport. Indeed. And I thought it was a quite a good documentary. It was. It was really good. But it, what happened was a little voice in my head went off. It said, don't have another drink. You don't need another drink. You've had enough drinks. But you haven't had, Andrew, enough ham on ruffles. So I sat there going... And I watched about 45 minutes of the the Rocky and Righty documentary before tiredness overtook me and I went to bed and uh, watched the rest of it then before the game on uh, on Sunday. And uh, yeah, it's, it's great. It's really good, really touching. Um, great memories of a great player. And obviously Ian Wright uh, is in there as well, who comes across fantastically well. I think you get the very best of, of Ian Wright uh, from that documentary as well. So it's well worth a look. If you, I think if you just search on Google for Rocky and Wrighty, some you know enterprising Arsenal fans have uploaded it for the people who can't get BT Sports. So you can find it pretty easily. And I would uh, I would definitely recommend it. For anyone, fair for enough. And if you fan. can, if you can watch it with ham on ruffles, that's only going to augment the experience. Oh, absolutely! It's everything is better with ham on ruffles. 
that should be their that should be their uh, their slogan. You know. I'm so jealous. I mean, honestly, I'm going to have to go to Spain myself and and get hold of some. Or, you know, if anyone's coming back from Spain to London, just bring, fill your suitcase with ham on ruffles. <laughs> I will pay you handsomely for them. And this is not a lie. This is not a joke. He will. No, this isn't a joke. This is a genuine pledge. <laughs> uh, the markup you could charge on them would be outrageous. I will bankrupt myself in pursuit of those delicious crisps. You're, you're really not a good negotiator, are you? I would not want to go into a negotiation with you. This like- is how Dick Law goes into <laughs> negotiations. <laughs> Dick Law. Uh, we'll give you whatever you want. Actually, that no, he's like that's the reverse Dick Law in a way, isn't to it? To be fair, that's yeah. I mean, Dick Law would say, "I, I see your ham and ruffles. I I offer you, you know." Hmm, would you like? Year, th- yeah. Would you like this um, bag of beans that I've cultivated <laughs> myself from the ground? I promise they'll grow to be a giant beanstalk. Honest. Yeah, yeah, it's much more. It's much more that approach. It was interesting, actually. I saw you. Was it was you or Ask Blog News retweeted a clip of David Dean talking about signing Ian Wright. Uh, are you aware yeah. of this clip that I yes. talking about? Yes. And he talks about the negotiation with the the chairman of Crystal Palace, Ron Nodes, at the time. And he says, you know, kind of name your price for Ian Wright. And he says, oh, I don't know, two and a half million. And David Dean turns around and says, okay, we're offering you two and a half million for Ian Wright. And you do think, well, how how far removed we are from doing business so efficiently in this day and age. Yeah, I love this. You see, this is the thing that gets to me about transfers in a way, is people go, oh, you know, they're ever so complicated, transfers. You know, there's a lot going on in a transfer. Mm. There's so much stuff and things and negotiations. But is there, is there really... Is it not just a case of how much would you like me to pay you for this human being? It's the oldest yeah. fucking trade in the book. How much <laughs> do you want for this man? And I will pay you whatever it is. Or I'll, you know, we'll negotiate a bit. You want a 10 or I'll give you a 7. You want 9, I'll give you, you know, it can't surely take that long. You know? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Why can't people just buy people easily like they did in the old days? Buy human beings off one another like commodities. Yeah. It's like the good old days. <laughs> yeah. What was it? There was uh, nothing wrong with the World Bank then, no. let me tell you. <laughs> it was simpler times. Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but there you go. I mean, look, there's uh, there's uh, there's been a football match. I So I have been working in another capacity all day. So I was following the football match anxiously on my phone, uh, seeing the old clip online. I've now watch the highlights it it looked to me like a a breathless encounter i'm glad my poor little heart didn't have to put up with it in, in the course of 90 minutes is that a fair assessment um it was a really really odd game i thought it was it was weird and strange okay. and like it wasn't a bad game um like city scored early they hit the post they hit the post again you know we equalized a couple of times but there was just this undercurrent of weirdness about the game itself. I don't quite know how to describe it. I suppose the the first thing I should say is that my fear was going into this game that we were going to see a West Brom-esque performance from from Arsenal, a team that wasn't up for it in any way, a team that wasn't prepared to to fight a team that will, you know, if something went wrong would just crumble and things went mm. wrong in this game. You know, we conceded after five minutes. We uh, conceded just after we equalized. Rather pathetically, it was awful. We lost uh, our captain and best defender at halftime. So there were things that went against it. We had two central midfield players on yellow cards from relatively early on in the game. I think both uh, Coquelin was about 15 minutes in. Xhaka after 
maybe half an hour or something like those that. Those guys, you surprised me. I know. I was like, <laughs> who saw that coming? Wow, that was crazy. I was accused of um, of mocking Xhaka earlier on, and I wasn't mocking him. I just said, you know. Um, after he got booked, his last eight Arsenal appearances have seen him pick up one red card and six yellow cards from wow. eight appearances. You know, that's a shitload of cards. That's a lot of cards by anyone's standards. Yeah. He, he's making Francis Cochrane look, you know, relatively conservative. We should change his name to Granite Hallmark. He's got that many cards. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, you know, I was looking at those two guys and you're thinking, well, all it would take is one mistimed tackle, and then, you know, we go down to 10 men, and that's going to be difficult. And, you know, there were things that went wrong for us in the game, and we did react relatively well to them, you know, coming from behind twice, equalizing twice. Uh, so, so from that point of view, the positives from the game are that, look, the players were at least willing to put in the effort and the fight, and they had a bit of character to, uh, to come from behind on two occasions. We didn't lose. That was good. That was mm-hmm. good. That was my post-game tweet. At least we didn't lose. Most people saw it for the sarcastic thing that it was. But as ever on the internet, you know, there are people who are like, oh, what sort of a mentality is that? Yeah. Where's your ambition, man? Yeah, exactly. You know, we could have closed the gap on Chelsea to 16 points had we had we won the game. And well, I think the title was probably gone after today's result. Yeah. I, was, you know, exactly. I had all my hopes up after the Palace you know, beat Chelsea, but now I think we consign it to history. Yeah. I mean, were we, we didn't lose. Now, from the highlights that I saw, I felt that maybe we were a little bit lucky to not lose. I felt like David Ospina made a, a lot of saves. Is that reflective of what you saw in the broader pattern of the game? He did make a couple of good saves, yes. Uh, and City did have, I think better chances I think one of one of their good chances came uh, just after half time they had a mm. really really good chance I think if it was the one I remember maybe hmm, Aguero perhaps from a corner or City went down the right and put in a cross and Aguero got between Gabriela Mustafi and headed wide I think he yeah. really planted his header wide instead of trying to glance it. And there was another one where he glanced the header and he had a really good chance to, to score again. And Ospina made a save. He did make a save from Fernandinho. Um, but we scored him almost immediately after that, that Aguero miss early in the second half. But after that, we didn't really have a lot to offer from an attacking point of view. There wasn't a lot going on in the final third from an Arsenal point of view. City in the second half... From probably 10 or 15 minutes into the second half till almost the end of the game, dominated possession. They'd so much of the ball. We really didn't look like we could get out of our, you know, our own half for long periods. Mm-hmm. There were moments of like stupidity. There was an Alexis back heel on the edge of the box, which I think drew a, a save from Ospina, if I, I can't, can't quite remember at this point. But, you know, we did our best to to try and fuck it up. But, um, yeah, certainly City, to me, always looked like a side more likely to score than we were. I mean, I guess, you know, it's a result that, that benefits them more. It goes without saying, simply yeah. because they're above us in the league. Although... Why was it such an odd game, do you think? Was that to do with the atmosphere, to do with the uncertainty that we've talked about for the last few weeks that's kind of enveloping the club at the moment, to do with 
the discord among the fans. Do you think that all played into it being a, an odd occasion? No, you know what, actually, what I thought, um, you know, clearly I'm watching it from home and watching it on TV and only able to view it from that point of view, but it, f- it felt to me perhaps a bit more than some games in the recent past that the crowd really tried to get behind the team. They really right. tried to to raise the team after we after we uh, conceded you know there was you could expect people to go silent or for things to get a bit like oh fuck this shit not again blah 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 mm. but there was an effort I think to try and rouse the team and throughout I think the crowd were very much behind the team for the 90 minutes um but it's hard to escape the, the the other stuff that's going on. I just felt like both teams were a bit weird in how they approached the game. I think City were a little more confident in in uh, in their ability to win the game. Arsenal really knew. They looked like a team that knew they couldn't lose it. You know that way. They yeah. looked like they uh, just the, there was a lot of pressure. Everyone on that pitch was aware of the pressure, and everyone was aware of of uh, what they what they couldn't do. Um, and I, I don't know exactly. Sometimes you just get a feeling from a game that it's weird and strange and odd and there's something going on, but you can't quite put your finger on, on what it is. And, you know, you see players do things that they shouldn't do and they probably know better than to do. You know, the the second City goal, Ozil gave the ball away, got a bit unlucky, I think, um, when the ball rebounded away from him. His pass was cut out and, you know, defending was poor. You leave Sergio Aguero. It was a bit like that. Uh, was it... Who scored that goal for Liverpool? Was it Mane who scored the second goal yeah. for Liverpool where he was sort of left all alone at the back Free post? The side, yeah, yeah, you know, and that was... That was there again, and... Um, I mean, Arsene has spoken about the defending this week, hasn't he? He's kind of cited that as the the main issue mm. with our football in the last few weeks. Um, I think that, you know, it's not the only issue, but today, from what I've seen, felt like one of those days where, you know, that kind of played out. I mean, the, the, the first goal was kind of... It was a great pass, but it was sort of staggeringly easy how they cut us open, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Mustafi attacked the ball in, I suppose, high up in our half. You know, he went to win the header, and that, as a centre-half, is something that, fair enough, he, he, f- he felt like he should do, because, well, look, nobody else was challenging for it, and there'd be, you know, fingers pointing if nobody was challenging, challenging for the ball. But what didn't happen when he went there was one of our central midfielders being aware of that and then dropping back in to cover that space. And it was a first-time ball. I think it was De Bruyne. Was it, it De Bruyne? Was. It was De Bruyne. Yeah. Like, it was a great pass. Again, you're looking at Hector Bellerin and thinking, where is the fast, quick, pacey Hector Bellerin that could have got goal side of, of San uh, Sané a bit quicker? Um, I think he, he catches him a year ago. I'm, I'm convinced yeah, of that. me too. Me too. We've seen it happen so many times. And, uh, you know, we've talked on this show about him potentially carrying an injury problem. I, I have to think there's something to that because... You know, Sané's quick, but Bellerin's like a... You know, he's got the club record for sprinting. He's absolutely electric at his quickest. So I was, you know, alarmed by how how quickly... I I think there's only one way to really uh, find out what the... uh, what the likelihood of of Bellerin catching him is. Right? Go on. I think we've got to look at Sané's sprint speed in FIFA. (laughs) All right, Leroy Sané, here he is in FIFA... Uh, okay, what is his pace is 91. So that's pretty quick. 
That is pretty quick. That is fast. But that Hector fast, Bellerin... But compared to Bellerin? Okay, Hector Bellerin's speed is 94. So he's three faster, and he's got 96 acceleration, and Sané's acceleration is only... Let me get it back here. Is only 92. So he's got four That's more acceleration and three more speed. There's no excuse to be outpaced. He's seven faster. He's, se- he's seven yeah. faster. Seven What's going whole on? things faster. Uh, it's pathetic. Right? I mean, if you, if you can't believe the FIFA attributes, I don't know who, who to believe anymore, to be honest. Nothing's yeah. sacred anymore. Yes, it's absurd, absurd. But yeah, you know, it was, it was just one of those things that you're going, look... When you're playing Man City, you're playing at home, you're coming into a game after one win in five Premier League games, everybody should be switched on, everybody should be aware of what it is they're going to do, and everybody should know that when one of the centre-halves goes charging forward to win a header near the halfway line, someone else needs to cover the space that he has vacated. It's not that fucking difficult. It's not complicated in any way. And that wasn't the case. And it just took mm. one pass and a very good pass. Let's, let's be honest. But, you know, it was just a, it just felt like a really easy goal for Manchester City to score. Really easy. Yeah. And I, I mean, look, I don't know how reflective this is of, of what was actually going on in the game, but I was sort of checking Twitter furiously. And, um, <laughs> the suggestion was that around that time, you know, City maybe could have capitalised and, and got one or two more. That Arsenal were having gone behind initially uh, a little on the ropes. Yeah, maybe so. Actually, let me just have a let me have a quick look for the uh, on the live blog. Oh yes, there's an ooh, almost two nil. De Bruyne hits the post, and then it rebounded to Silva, who yeah. um, forced Ospina into a good save. What else is there? Ooh, danger! It says. Ooh, almost for Ozil. No, don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I'm, Alexis wants a penalty. No, that was a tackle from behind in the box, actually. But um, let's see what else. Then Theo Walcott scored. I mean, John Stones headed wide from a corner. I mean, there wasn't an awful lot of goal mouth action. And then we scored. Scrappy kind of goal through Theo Walcott. Um, you keep scoring in big games, really, you know, or scoring against big opponents. I think you've got to give him uh, some credit for that. Although I did, I did see a clip as well of him going in with a, a very potentially dangerous challenge. Yes. Was that in the first half too? Um, yeah, maybe so. Maybe second half. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. In, in, in a week where we've been talking about, you know... Uh, dangerous tackles. I, I mean, I haven't seen any commentary or reaction to that one, but yeah. it, it looked very dangerous. I think it was on Silva. Yeah, it was dangerous. It was over the top. He stood uh, stood on him with his studs. It was not a nice tackle at all, to be perfectly honest. Very on Theo Walcott, you would say, as well. And yeah, look, he's he, not that kind of player. <laughs> <laughs> and he did score a goal in a game against a big opposition. He scored against Man City earlier in the season as well, if I remember correctly. He scored. Indeed. He scored the opening goal. Um, but you know, apart from scoring, I'm not sure he did very much else. And right. that was true of a number of our players. Um, not that did they scored. And didn't, no click. I mean, how no. did the Alexis Welbeck no. the front three work? Because on paper, it's so exciting. 
didn't. For me, it didn't really work at all. Uh, Welbeck started the game up front, and in the second half, uh, in the second half, Alexis moved there, and Welbeck moved to the left hand side. You know, I like Danny Welbeck, and he worked hard and he tried hard, but he was not involved from an attacking point of view. Really, very early on, there was a clearance that ricocheted off him and went just wide, and I think it was from that goal kick that City scored. Um, but but not in the game, not really threatening at all, to be honest. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, Walcott wasn't happy when he was taken off. He had a bit of a hump, apparently. He sulked off. Um, and I was sort of expecting Welbeck to come off at that point. Welbeck came off next, I think, for for Iwobi. Um, but yeah, look, it, it didn't didn't really work. Alexis had some nice moments, the usual thing with Alexis, where you get these really nice moments and then other moments where you're going, what the hell was that? What are you doing? Um, but no. I saw, some, uh, I saw some chat about his body language during the game. Was there anything out of the ordinary there or just his usual demonstrative self? I, I didn't notice anything that we haven't seen before. Fine, yeah. You know? Arsene was asked about it, but I guess, you know, as his contract approaches this kind of critical point, that's just going to happen more and more. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't notice anything, really. But, you know, Mesut Ozil played, and uh, he, he got an assist, obviously, for the second goal from the corner. Um, mm-hmm. But there, there was just, again, a, a general lack of cohesion in the way that we played. Midfield was fine. As I said, Coquelin and Xhaka were pretty disciplined and did fairly well in the second half. But it wasn't a game that we were ever really in control of or it wasn't a game that we had long periods where we were on top, where we caused City's defence, which is, to be fair, their weakest link. We didn't really cause them any huge problems at all. No. I mean, thank you, Gail Clichy, for playing Theo Walcott on side at that crucial point. I yeah. think that's appreciated. You can always rely on him to uh, produce a, a moment like that. Good old Gail. <laughs> but I, I guess, yeah, it feels like a game in which they were kind of... I mean, this is not a particularly original or interesting thing to say about a draw, but it feels like the, the positives were balanced out by the negatives. You know, well, we did well to come from behind twice, but we also conceded at two kind of criminal points in the game very early on and then immediately having equalised. So, yeah. you know, there were there were signs of bits of character, but not so much quality. Um, it was kind of, it was not a goodly game, but not a, a badly one either. Kind of a, a weirdly encounter, all in all. A weirdly encounter. Yeah, I like, I like that explanation. It was, you know, afterwards I saw Danny Welbeck interviewed on, on Sky and it was a fairly perfunctory interview. You know, he showed some character. Yes, he showed some character. Tough part of the season, you know, is a point enough. And he, you know, his his final comment to Jeff Shreves was like, uh, he said to him, is, is a point enough? He said, we wanted three points. And that was it, you know, because the gap uh, to City is seven points. That's to fourth place. Uh, it's nine points, I think, to or eight points to Liverpool. It's 11 points to Tottenham with a game, only one game in hand. You know, yeah, I mean, those other instances we do have, you know, on Liverpool we've got, uh, what have we got? Uh, two games in hand, which yeah. is something. Yeah. Uh, but you've got to win those games. <laughs> that's, the, that's the worry at the moment. Well, that's it. That's it. I mean, and, and as well, you know, I look at it um, in the context of a game against a big team, big opposition who, 
uh, are, you know, are good in a decent enough run of four Man City. I think they've you know won three and drawn two of their last five. I, I don't know what else they've done before that, but you know they're not in bad form, and we have been in terrible form. We haven't we haven't been getting results at all. So a draw in that context, you know, it's fine in isolation. In the overall context of the season, it feels like another game that's gone by where we haven't taken as many points as we should have taken or or needed to take. You know, this is the Mm. problem. Games are running out. I think we've got 10 games left now. And after that, you know, there's some big games coming. Obviously, we've got a game on Wednesday, so that's a chance um, to do something. But, you know, maybe today was about steadying the ship. Maybe it was about just not losing and maybe taking what little positives we could from, from the performance. Maybe. I mean, you know, we've talked in the past about how when Arsenal lose a game, sometimes they need a match to sort of steady the ship and, you know, kind of grind out a draw or what have you. They've lost, what was it, four out of the last five. So mm. the ship was altogether more difficult to steady. And I I guess a draw with City in isolation isn't a, a terrible result. But I think in our predicament, this is a game it felt like we could, we could win. And to be honest, I kind of had a hunch that we would. It just seemed quite typical of us to, you know, struggle and then go and go and beat a, a relatively big side at home. But mm. uh, maybe that was unrealistic, I think, given how much discord and how much poor form yeah. precedented look, this Look, I, you know, I think you can see it right throughout the team that there's something badly wrong or missing, you know? There's something missing from this team, the way they play. This is the same team that went 19 games without losing in the first half mm-hmm. of the season. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's the reality of this team, that they're better than they're showing right now. I mean, I'm not saying they're like uh, uh, champions elect or, or that kind of thing, but I think they are better than what we're seeing right now. And th- there's just something. You can feel like there's a weight, there's a pressure, whether it's coming from the managerial situation, whether they're all aware of the criticism that they've had themselves as individuals, as uh, as a collective, from the fans. As I said, though, I didn't hear anything inside the stadium that wasn't anything other than really supportive, that actually tried to to get behind the team and get them to, you know, get them motivated to to show that at least, you know, during the 90 minutes, all the fans are are behind them all the way. But, you know, there's, there's something wrong. You can't escape. You can't look at them. You can't look at the way they play you can't look at the things that happen you can't look at the mistakes that are made um the the lack of any fluidity to the football that we're playing and and just not be aware that there's there's something really wrong it's like a it's like a man going to the doctors and fucking he's got snot and pus coming out of his nose and he's coughing and he's shitting and there's stuff going everywhere and trying to tell you he's fine it's not <laughs> You know, it's not. You can see it. It's not. There's something really wrong. And maybe it is relative to where we are. Maybe it is, you know, the, the old thing about, well, you know, 75 other teams in the football league would like to have the problems that Arsenal would have. Sure, fine, I get that. But, you know, we, we, we live in our own world and we live, we're experiencing our own footballing reality and, and that's what it is. It just looks... It, I think he said something during the week uh, or, or before the game about, you know, he's tried different combinations of things and not all of them have worked or n- none of them seem to work or whatever it was. And there the just seemed to me there to be like a, an admission of, well, I, d- I don't really quite know what else I can do. What can I do here to get things going again? 
Yeah, well, I think that that's the case. I think I don't think the manager does know because if you look at past seasons when we've been in trouble like this and look like we're going to miss out on the top four, he's had to be quite pragmatic or quite drastic in the changes that he's made. And generally, he's ended up kind of stumbling on a formula that was never necessarily his intention. He's had to divorce himself from his original plans. And he's tried to do that this year, but nothing's worked. You know, I think he's tried several different things, but none seem to have clicked as they have done in previous years. And he's running out of options, really. Do you know what I mean? He's running out of possible combinations to try between now and the end of the season. He needs something to click into gear sooner rather than later. But yeah. I, I'm struggling to find what more he can throw at it, to be honest. Yeah. What can he do? What can he say that he hasn't already said a, a hundred times or a thousand times? The only thing that I would take from today, if I was if I was Arsene Wenger and I was those players, I would say, look, you didn't lose. And that's not, that's a low bar. I mean, I get that. <laughs> that's a really low bar. You didn't lose. And we didn't play anywhere near as well as we can play. And that City team is beatable. And we're playing oh, them again yeah. in a couple of weeks' time at Wembley in an FA Cup semi-final. And if there's anything to take from that game... I think it's that. Because, to be perfectly honest, I don't think we're going to make the top four. I don't think we're going to make the top four. Well, I did one of those predictor things where you put in all the results, and I didn't have us making the top four, and I had us beating City. Right. So, well, actually, we've got a question about that, so we might do that in the... Uh, okay, cool. In the second half of the... In the second half of the podcast, we might do that. But, yeah, I, I, I'm not feeling uh, great about that. Uh, you know, no. and, and that puts a, a lot. That puts a lot of uh, onus on the FA Cup. Really, I mean, do you think is it fair to say the FA Cup uh, that our season kind of hinges on that now? Um, yeah, it's more than that still because the top four is still up for grabs. You know, <sighs> up for grabs is a strong, uh, a strong phrase to use, and one that has particular resonance for Arsenal. I guess. Yeah. I look, you know, there's ten games, there's thirty points, and we're only seven points off Manchester City in fourth, and other teams could go through. So it's like I'm not saying it's impossible, and we've been here before, and we've done it before. And actually, I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was playing five aside on Friday, and one of the lads said, "Look, you know, Arsenal will get the top four. That is what Arsenal do. That's what Arsene Wenger does. Simple as that." Yeah. And I was like, "Well, you know, yeah." The conventional wisdom hasn't really worked a number of times in the last year or so. Maybe this is the final horseman of the apocalypse. Arsenal finishing I, outside the top four. That's I it. think it is. And I, and I think it's interesting. You know, I had, a, I had a chat with a Spurs fan the other day. Uh, this is prior to the weekend and Spurs winning away from home and Arsenal drawing. We were talking about, oh, are Spurs finally going to finish above Arsenal this year? And I said, you know, it pains me, but I think this is the year. And there was... I could see in the Spurs fan, he was terrified of the prospect. He was like, look, I think, you know, it'll be Arsenal by a point. It'll be Arsenal by a point. You know, <laughs> that's what happens. I could see him sort of kind of talking himself out of it. So, yeah. you know, there is this expectation born out of history that we will make top four, that we will finish above Spurs. I don't think I'm being pessimistic when I look at that league table and say, I don't really see either of those things happening. No, uh, I certainly, I certainly don't see us... Finishing above Tottenham at this point. 
I mean, it would take something so extraordinary. It would only Tottenham could produce it. Really, it would be a a collapse of uh, uh, you know un, unheard of proportions. But Tottenham, I think it's, Tottenham proportions. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It would, but, I mean, yeah, that is maybe the only thing we can hold on to in that regard because, as you know, they're uh, still Tottenham. I they, guess they are still Tottenham, and they have that within them as much as we have what we do within ourselves. So. Maybe that's what it is. But, you know, look, the thing is, we have to start winning games again. We don't look like a team that's capable of doing that just at the moment. Um, but maybe maybe what happened against Man City will just steady things down and take some of the pressure off. And then we've got West Ham on Wednesday. And maybe that will be maybe that will be the win that we need to, to kick us off again. But uh, it ought to be. Right. I mean, you know, I, I feel scared saying that because, you know, you can't take anything for granted with Arsenal at the moment. But West Ham are in 14th position. Mm. We're at home. Generally, we do well in these games. We do have got a good record in London derbies. You'd have to think, you'd have to think that finally we get a win there. Yeah. Maybe in in the light of that, this point against City will, will you know, be seen as something uh, potentially... A, God forbid, a turning point. <laughs> wow. A turning point with nine games left. Yes. Well, look, we'll see some of the fixtures that are on in midweek. Uh, Manchester United play Everton on Tuesday. I'm looking at stuff that's more or less around us. And then on Wednesday, Arsenal against West Ham. Uh, Chelsea against Manchester City. Ooh, that's quite interesting. Uh, Liverpool mm-hmm. uh, play Bournemouth. And Tottenham play Swansea. So... I mean, you'd fancy you'd fancy Liverpool and, and Spurs to win their games. Yeah, Man United Everton is interesting because United West Brom, having comprehensively beaten us in the last round of fixtures, I guess did us a bit of a favour. Old Trafford got getting a draw there, yeah, and really upsetting Jose Mourinho. I mean, I don't like to see Tony Pulis happy, but you know there are some cases where I can just about stomach it if I see Mourinho upset. Yeah, um, so you know United need to win that game, uh, and then. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, I need I need Chelsea to start winning games. I, 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 it's only seven points, that gap between Chelsea and Spurs now. I feel sick even thinking about, you know, if they blew it. I, ugh, it doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, but look, we just talked about Tottenham blowing it. We can't then, you know, you can't, you can't hang on to that thread of hope and then think that Tottenham might do the other thing. Don't say it. I didn't say it. say it. I didn't say it. I didn't say it. All right, look, we're going to take a break. We'll come back with um, questions and more in part two right after this. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two where we answer the questions you sent to us on Twitter at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, but not this week on the Arsblog Facebook page because I forgot. So sorry, <laughs> Sorry to all the people on Facebook. I apologize. Won't happen again. You may. We do love you, really. We do. Lots. Uh, you can chastise me as you will. Perhaps call me names the way people do. But anyway, look, let's move past it. Let's move beyond it. It was a simple, honest mistake. Don't want to crucify me. Jesus. Um, look, if, if, if people on Facebook are anything, they are understanding and patient. So I can't see what could possibly Absolutely. go wrong. Absolutely. You're right, James. You're right. Okay. Well, look, we're going to do some questions and you're going to go first. Okay. Well, look, I'm going to ask you a question because I don't understand the question, but I, I sense that that's because I've been busy all day. Um, not just because I'm stupid. So this is Brad <laughs> Dennett on Twitter, of course. <laughs> Uh, he may be on Facebook, but that's not where he saw the question. And he says, do you think Gazidis's comments highlight a potential fallout between himself and Wenger? And at this stage, I will confess, I don't know what these comments are. So please enlighten me. OK, well, I don't know exactly what the comments are, but I do know that he had a meeting with... Uh he had a meeting with the Arsenal fans forum uh, that Tim Stillman was talking about on the on the Arscast on Friday. You know the the way they talk mm-hmm. about fan issues and all that kind of stuff. Um, what I was told was that the whole thing was uh, pretty much as you would expect from Ivan Gazidis, in the sense that you know uh, defensive, corporate, um, good political kind of stuff, you know, that way where he says a lot and doesn't really answer answer the questions. Uh, Absolutely. However, he used he used the phrase catalyst of change. This is what I was told. The catalyst of change. Apparently whatever decision is going to be made about Arsene Wenger, it will be mutual. This is what he was saying. It's definitely like a hundred percent. Don't I'm not lying. I promise like, seriously, I promise you 100%, like, you could cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. It's it's going to be mutual. Like, seriously, 100%. Like, totally. There's no chance of it not being mutual or just Arsene sure, Wenger's sure. decision. So this is this is what was being put across there, which, you know, if you ask me, is a big load of bollocks. I don't believe that <laughs> for a fucking second. Like, I don't. I don't believe it's mutual in any way. I still think that, you know, it's going to end up with with Arsene Wenger making the decision. But this thing, this catalyst of change is mm. is the new the new thing that's coming out of um uh the Arsenal boardroom, a catalyst of change. What does that mean? But what is the catalyst what, of change? What is, 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 is Ivan himself the catalyst of change? I I don't know. I'm reading something here now. 
from Jeremy Wilson. And in his article in The Telegraph, he says, Wenger wants to go on and has told the club that he is ready to reinvent, in inverted commas, reinvent himself, and Arsenal believe that the 67-year-old is capable of becoming what Gazidis has called a catalyst for change. <laughs> it sounds like a film title. Yeah, Catalyst for Change, starring... Who would it star, Catalyst for... Arsene Wenger, too. <laughs> Catalyst for Change. <laughs> but it would be somebody, like, really... Like, who is that fucking fat martial arts guy? You know that fat guy? Who's the... Who, how can you be a fat martial S- artist? Steve... Dunholm or whatever his fucking name. I don't know what his name is. I've had too <laughs> Charlie much Charlie Adam. No, not Charlie Adam. <laughs> not like Dolph Lundgren. The kind of weird, strange martial arts fucking... Like, he's not like... Uh, Steve Seagal? Steven Seagal, that's the fella. The yes. fat guy, see? And you see, I'm Steven right. Seagal. Steven Seagal. Ah, ah! Catalyst for change! Exactly. Um, half man, half seagull. <laughs> He'll steal your ice cream without you even knowing. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I mean, what does it mean? Here's what I think it means. Nothing. I think it's I think it's a sound bite that means essentially nothing. I think the board saying that it's going to be a a mutual decision is is just them trying to make out like they have any influence over what happens. You know, apparently the contract is not on offer at the moment. This is what he said at this uh, supporters forum meeting, that the contract is not on offer. But the decision will be, and I just want to stress this again, no lies. It's going to be mutual. It's a mutual decision. I mean, it's a a bizarre situation. I mean, do you... (laughs) I mean, we were. T- I'm just thinking back to the international break and before the international break, and how you know all the reports and every commentator and pundit was saying, "Well, there'll be a, an announcement during the international break." They want to provide some clarity. Then Arsene Wenger's gone away to think about it. The club know what they want to do, and yet the wait goes on. I, I feel like the tide is. <laughs> I feel like the pieces are moving. I feel like there's much more noise about Arsene Wenger staying than there was even a few weeks ago. Mm. Um, but And yet the club are kind of sending out this odd mixed messages. Do you think that's literally just an attempt by even Gazidis to make it seem as if there is some kind of accountability for the results between now and the end of the season, whereas in fact the decision has pretty much already been taken? Uh, I don't fucking know. You know, I just don't fucking know. <laughs> anymore. It's like Arsenal, the board and the manager are playing a game of, like, whose line is it anyway? It's like yeah. football improv. What will Can we, we make these yeah. poor podcast presenters go insane before May? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Or, you know, and even, like, without making a joke about it, it's driving people fucking mad. We've spoken about this before. Like, you know, there, was, there were people fighting in the ground today. Like, literally, physically fighting in the ground today. Uh, we have a question here, um, which comes from Arsenal's voice, um, who says, I was at the Emirates today, witnessed one physical fight and two incidents where if people weren't holding them back, it would have got physical. 
How insane is the infighting? Do you think Wenger confirming his decision would lead to the fighting stopping, or is it too late? And he said, if you could sit the Arsenal fans who fight each other down in a room, what would you say to them? You know, I wouldn't fucking say anything. I'd just fill the room with water. What the fuck are you doing, you fucking idiots? But that's what that's what's happening. People are being driven to physical... To, to feel like th- somehow fighting somebody else because they have a difference of opinion or whatever it is, is somehow justified because of how strongly you feel about what the hell is going to go on with the manager or the club. You know, that's that's insane. Arsenal have to be aware of this. I'm not, like, excusing or condoning people fighting each other. It's idiotic. It's just beyond stupid. It's pathetic that these are gr- your grown-ups. You're, what the fuck are you doing? You've got... Sh- just use your head. But... This is the, the whole situation is feeding into that. I mean, I don't know if you've seen the clip, but like a guy going after Robbie from Arsenal Fan TV, mm. and you know, I I get how some people might not lo- might not like the stuff that Arsenal Fan TV do. I you know I get it, but just you know, just don't watch it then. There's no call to like move into the realms of of physicality, of threatening people, of violence, of throwing punches or pushing and shoving. You know, it's just it's mad. And all the while, what the fuck is happening? Arsene Wenger is saying, "Well, I know what I want to do." The board are saying, "Well, you know, it will be a mutual decision that could be a catalyst for change." And Stan Kroenke's sitting thousands of miles away going, well, fuck, thank God, nobody's talking about me, really. They're all pointing fingers at this fucking French guy who's got the fucking whatever else you might think about Arsene Wenger. What a massive set of fucking balls that guy has. He really does. He just got, he's like, fuck it. You know, I'll just say what I want. I don't know. Did you watch his press conference last week? The one on Friday. Did you watch that? Uh, bits and pieces, not the whole thing. Right, he was having fun with it. He was having a great... Oh, he was in a great mood, yeah. yeah. He was like, nah, I'm not answering that. And James Ollie from the Evening Standard was going, but why are you waiting? You know, what What are you waiting for? And he says, well, maybe one day if you ask me, I'll answer. And it's like, well, come on, what the fuck is this? What is happening that this has been allowed to develop the way it has? That they're just basically making shit up as they go along week after week after week and the the consequences of that to my mind are evident in the way that we play and what's happening on the pitch and people are going out of their fucking minds they're losing whatever little bit of reason that they had and nothing is happening they're still going well mutual catalyst you know they're, well, they're coming out with all that business speak. Well, meanwhile, Arsene Wenger is allowed to say pretty much whatever he wants, seemingly without consequence. You can just kind of go, I know and you don't, na 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 Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And everyone just has to put up with it. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is his right, but you'd think that somebody at the club would, you know, have the, the wisdom to say, well, maybe that's not a great thing. Maybe the fans aren't going to love that. Yeah, you know, this is probably just on a very normal human level, not the right way to treat people who are paying thousands and thousands of euros every season for season tickets or corporate hospitality or people who follow the club from all over the the world, who pay their money to watch their fucking team, who buy the merchandise, who do whatever they can to feel connected to their club. You know, maybe, maybe you owe them a little bit better than this. Maybe, you know. People who already feel like they're being alienated and kept out of the loop and not communicated with to be told, well, we kind of know what we're going to do, but we we don't really feel the need to tell you yet. I mean, it's just 
unbelievable. And I, I don't, you know, I, I think everyone's accountable for their own actions. And I think the people who are being violent at the ground should be ashamed of themselves. And I think that, you know, they have to be responsible for that. But the club has also a responsibility to act in a way that is just sensible. And I just think they're fanning the flames with their behaviour. Absolutely. And I think, I, I, you know, I don't... I don't think that that absolves someone who's violent of of guilt. I don't no. think that at all. No. But I just think an institution like Arsenal, one that is supposedly renowned for doing things in the right way, frankly should know better than to present the kind of shambles of communication and PR and everything else that we've seen in the last couple of months. Absolutely. This is a... You know, Arsene Wenger talks a lot, doesn't he, about how... You know, when he arrived, it was a much smaller club, and now there's six, seven hundred staff, and you know all that kind of stuff. Well, you know, is there one person am- among I, that quantity doesn't necessarily reflect quality? No, exactly. But surely, is there just one person who could say, you know what? It would be a good idea if we had a clear and concise plan for the future, and we communicated that to people in order for them to feel at least like they know what's happening. Like, they might not like it. If Arsene Wenger came out tomorrow and said, I'm staying for another two years, stick it up your bums. Well, look, people might not like it, but at least there's that clarity. At least that's there. I'm not saying that's what I want, but if that was to happen, you could say, well, you know, fair enough. They've got, they've got the message. They presented the message. We don't necessarily like the message, but it is what it is. And we're going to have to deal with that in whatever way we see fit. But it's the, it's the uncertainty. It's the not knowing. It's the, the, the teasing. It's almost like being teased by, it <laughs> it's just it's perverse. Fucking it's so bananas. Odd. For a club, you know, for your own supporters, it, it is a bizarre way to treat them. And I think also the naivety of thinking, well, once we beat West Ham, this news will suddenly become palatable. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like that they're just waiting for. It. If we just, if we can collect six points, mm. you know, then suddenly we'll be able to sneak all this past them, and they won't even have noticed what's yeah, gone on. Yeah. I mean, it's patronising in the extreme, and it's. I still think that there's a fundamental. I think at Arsenal, I think, I don't know this is a fact, but my perception is that they still kind of think that the problem isn't as big as it is. You know, I think that they still think that the the fans who are disgruntled or upset, not just with the manager, but with the way the club is being run more generally, are a minority. The vocal minority. Yeah, a, a vocal minority or an extreme minority. And I just think that absolutely isn't the case now. And I know I can only really report on that anecdotally, but... You know that's that's the way I see it, and, and I, I think that they they're making enemies of their own fans at times, and that yeah, that is a shame. And Arsene is very keen to talk about all these people who work for the club now and all the advances that have been made over the past uh, two decades. And in in some respects, that is true, but in other ways, you know, certain things about the club have gone sour. Yeah, and uh, it's it's a it's a it's a really yeah. It's just it's a, a crap right. time to be an Arsenal fan. Really. It is a bit. And look, we know that the club are actually very good at monitoring what's said on social media and on Facebook and maybe on podcasts. I don't know if they listen to the fucking podcast. If there's someone who is listening, to just fucking tell us what's happening. For fuck's sake, yeah. just tell us what's going on. Because this is like... I don't, I don't have words for it anymore. I just... You know, it's fucking bananas. It's stupid, and it is... The consequences of it are not just something to be laughed about. That's the point that I want to make here. That when fans 
And again, you know, we'll make the point, it's not fucking the right thing to do. But when people are driven to the point of assaulting each other inside the fucking stadium, where there's, when there's a game of football going on, that tells you that there's something really, really wrong. Not just with a vocal minority, not just with one or two who are, uh, who've got banners or vans or planes or whatever the fuck. It's not, it's gone beyond that now. Well beyond that. And they, they're like, they're ju- it's a dereliction of duty by not doing something about it or by not addressing it in a serious way. Because until now, they have not addressed it in a serious way. Arsene Wenger will do his post-match interviews, he'll do his press conferences, he'll say what he has to say, and even with the best efforts of journalists who try and press him on it, they don't get anywhere. But as a club, from the board down, nothing has been done to take this issue seriously. No. And, and if Ivan Gazidis really is, I mean, I wasn't there, but if he really is saying, well, there could be a catalyst for change, you know, we, nothing set in stone, the contract uh, is not on offer, why... Why would you fan those flames of that possibility of change if you know that's not what's going to happen? I mean, it's it's uh, it's a dangerous game to play because you are you are letting people feel fundamentally. It's just, it goes back to the same thing about the, the manager is ultimately accountable to the fans. You're making people feel that they have a, a an ability to influence things, and that leads directly to some of the behaviour that we're seeing from supporters. Yeah. So, yeah. And you know what it is as well? I think, you know, people feel so disconnected from Arsenal. I was watching that Rocky and Riley documentary and, you know, I was, there was, it was quite emotional at times. I felt real sorrow, obviously, at what had happened to David Rocastle, but hearing Ian Wright talk about it and seeing the clips of Arsenal and seeing the clips of Ian Wright talking and David Rocastle talking, you know, your heart kind of, you feel proud that you support a club like Arsenal. Ian Wright was talking about when he came from Crystal Palace and how he, he uh, the night that the deal went through, because himself and, and Rocky had been such friends, they sat up in his kitchen and they were talking till four in the morning just about what it was like to going to be to play at Arsenal, what it was going to be like to play with Tony Adams and Anders Limpar and to who all the players were. And then they showed, you know, pictures of uh, the old, uh, the, the, the facade of Highbury and they showed the, the uh, you know, the Art Deco outside and the marble halls and the the everything and you're going oh my god this is such an amazing football club i'm so glad i'm an arsenal fan because it it there is something special about it and yes there's a touch of rose tinted glasses and everything else but now people feel so disconnected from it and it's different of course it's different it's a business it's a massive corporation now that's the way that football has gone but people could still feel more connected than they are. And when the board of the football club completely and utterly ignore the fans the way that this board have done over the last, I don't know how long, it's no wonder that the only way that they can feel some sort of connection is through kicking up a fuss to show that they they still care and they still uh, have feelings for the football club. Because for all the people... For all the people that are uh, up front and center, either talking about it, writing about it uh, on podcasts, there are there are many more who don't have any outlet or who don't want an outlet to talk about how uh, disenfranchised they are, and they will just stop. 
they will just yeah, stop the, going the to thing. the ground, James. They'll, they'll give up their season ticket and something that, that has been a big part of their life for who knows how many years, 20 years, 30 years, more than that, will be gone. And that's because of the actions of this board. That's absolutely right. And I think that, you know... Everyone, there's a lot of chat at the moment about how should fans express their views publicly, how should they protest, how should they get their message across. And what you touch on there is that not every fan wants to do that. And it is not incumbent on every fan to do that. Some fans just want to pay for their ticket, turn up, support the team, and feel like they are part of something. Mm. And I think that as that feeling part of something erodes people will just walk away and the idea that, that you know that everyone's got to jump on youtube and and you know do something about it mm. is a nonsense there's a huge amount of people who don't have profile who don't have a podcast who don't who aren't on arsenal fancy who aren't even on twitter who feel as disenfranchised as anybody else yeah and uh i guess you know that's reflected in when we see games and you know they're not full and, and it'll be fascinating to see what happens with the the season ticket situation this this summer. Mm. You know, there's talk of a waiting list, and no one's quite clear on how long that is. But I'm sure, you know, anecdotally, I'm hearing a lot of people saying that they won't be renewing, and I and I, yeah. I believe them to be honest. I see it. I see it. You know. So we'll see. We we'll wait and see if they've got anything to say, or you know, over the next week, or whether they'll just go to the West Ham game and you know wait and play it by ear. And if that mm-hmm. goes well, maybe they might feel. Uh, they might deign to give us some information or deign to show some leadership. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. Well, okay. let's have another question. I mean, I enjoyed this one. So we mentioned Arsenal Fan TV. Uh, Rohith Jyothish on Twitter says, do you support the anti-Arsenal Fan TV being launched by <laughs> Arsenal Football Club? Will it set a bad precedent in terms of diluting the fans' voice? Now... <laughs> I, I feel for Rohith because he has been taken in by what I must describe as a, a masterful April Fools from your good self. Um, yeah, that was... <laughs> it, I think, you know, normally the April Fools that we do on Arsblog News, we tend to keep them more or less within the realms of reality. Uh, they, they've got to... You've got to have something like that to make it... Um, to make it believable in any way. And then as the story goes on, they tend to get a bit more ridiculous so people understand that it's just a, a, an April Fool's joke. But uh, uh, this one in particular this year seemed to, I guess, maybe tap into <laughs> uh, the way people think about the club. So we did want to say that Arsenal were going to, maybe I can get the story up here, they were going to launch a rival uh, to Arsenal Fan TV. And we you know, did a fake letter to show that somebody had been invited to to auditions um you know the the idea was that the person should prepare two pieces for camera and the uh the pieces should be one to react after a good win and the other one should be a way of finding uh something positive to say after we lose and i figured well at that point people will be you know that they'll figure it out but some of the other stuff some of the features that we we said that the they were going to do on this particular channel Player ratings, where players would be rated, you know, from one to ten hugs. So even if you played shit, you'd still get a hug. <laughs> um, and then, of course, like words like defeat and, and loss will not be used um, because they affect people's perception of what actually happened. So uh, uh, the term three-point robbery and almost victory would be applied. And a draw is called a half win. 
<laughs> and then other features like Remember Saurus, where Gunnar Saurus creates classic goals, and Can You Lob Your Seaman? Uh, which is when fans try and chip the ball over the former goalkeeper. So, uh, yeah, look... Um, I mean, maybe I'm alone <laughs> in this, but I, I would love to watch this YouTube channel. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. can you lob your semen uh, over Gunnarsaurus? Um, <laughs> yeah, look, uh, it wouldn't surprise you. It just wouldn't surprise you in any way, but uh, no, it was it was absolutely an April Fool. So um, apologies, apologies for that. Yes, apologies, Roth. You've been taken in. Yes. But, you know, uh, it, anything could happen, guys. Maybe maybe that YouTube channel will be the catalyst for change we're all waiting for. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay, here's a question from Danny, who is at the underscore GFP who also is uh, one of the guys on the uh, Burkhart Wonderland podcast. So hello to all mm. you guys over there. Um, he says, Theo was having a great game. He was focused and up for it, but Wenger took him off. Theo was furious. Why does Wenger do this? To fuck with you, Danny. <laughs> it's to fuck with you. Absolutely, man. That's it. Uh, yeah, they're enjoying that at the moment as a club. I... I uh I don't know. I mean, from what you said, Theo Walcott, despite scoring, didn't have a great. I didn't game. think he that? was. I didn't think he was that great. But you know, maybe that, again, it's perception, isn't it? You know, people people have different ways of viewing these things. But no, I didn't think he was that great. But I was very surprised by Walcott's reaction because he's not normally he's not normally that guy, is he? He's not that kind of substitute mm-hmm. player. Um, you know, the tackle that he put in as well on. Um, on silver, you know. Well, I think Theo Walcott. Um, maybe he recognises that he owes his career to Arsene Wenger more than most. I mean, I think Wenger's been incredibly patient with him, you know, <clears throat> for the most part, especially mm. through all the injury problems. So maybe he has been a little bit more up for it than than some other players in recent times. Uh, but I don't think Arsene Wenger substituting a wide player is anything new. If you look back over his career, mm. that's what he does, right? 70 minutes, take a winger off. That's what happens. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, Walcott made nine passes in the uh, 60-odd minutes that he was on. You know, he did score a goal, but there was a touch of good fortune about it. Um, you know, I, I don't think... I mean, I'm not uh, picking on Walcott here. I don't think anybody played particularly well, to be honest. Um, but yeah, maybe it was... Maybe there's something to that. Maybe Walcott... Maybe Walcott throwing a strop when he comes up. Maybe that's the fifth horseman of the apocalypse. What? <laughs> God, what, how many horsemen of the apocalypse can there be? It's going to be a whole... whole. I was going to say herd of horses. Is that what it is? A herd of horses? I think it's a flock. Ah, uh, yes, that's it. A shoal. <laughs> a shoal. Um, a school. Uh, okay. A school of horses, yeah. A murder of horses. Murder. I, uh, so, uh, let's have another question. Um, oh, Mitchell Ross. I mean, I don't know if Mitchell's just grumpy today. He says, all this talk on Henri Vieira coming in to learn under Wenger. Anyone else think this is a shit idea? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was actually something I meant to touch on in the previous bit when we were talking about Arsene Wenger was all this talk that perhaps, I mean, there are whispers that players like Vieira and Bergkamp are being approached to come back in. And this could very well tie in with Arsene Wenger being ready to reinvent himself and become the catalyst for change. So maybe mm. that's part of what that is, you know, to bring Vieira back, to bring Bergkamp back in as a coach. Um 
Maybe that's what the delay is. Maybe that's what they're waiting for. You know, they've got to find an agreement with Ajax. They've got to convince uh, Vieira to come back from New York City where he's the manager. Here's the here's the path to your uh, position as Arsenal manager, Patrick. you just got to be Arsene's assistant. But we've got to also fire Steve Bold. Yeah, it's a little bit sensitive. You know, we can't. Yeah. You know, so maybe maybe that's what it is. I don't know. But, I mean, I think any efforts to try and modernize the setup of the club in terms of bringing in new coaches, uh, bringing in director of football, blah, blah, blah. If if, If there's some effort being made in that regard, I'm kind of for it. I'm for it. I know what you mean. Yeah, look, I I love Patrick Vieira. I've got to say, I really love Patrick. I loved him as a player. I it, it does hurt me somewhat that his he came back to England with Manchester City and ended up staying there. I would love to see him back at the club in pretty much any capacity. I mean, you know, if he wants a job as chief exec, I mean that'd be great because <laughs> uh, I wouldn't see some mind seeing some turnover there. But I think, uh, yeah, look. It's possible. It's possible. It, uh, do you think it's just like PR from the club, though? Like, would Arsene Wenger actually grant these people the freedom to change stuff and help evolve things, or do you think his autonomous mm. manner would prevent that happening? I don't know. I mean, I think I think at the very least there must be some awareness that something has to change if Arsene Wenger is going to stay. You can't sell two more years of Arsene Wenger to people just on two more years of Arsene Wenger. Whereas yeah. if you say we've got two more years of Arsene Wenger along with Dennis Bergkamp coming in to be one of our coaches along with Patrick Vieira coming in as assistant manager or assistant assistant manager you know that would I think that would go some way to to make people feel at least like there's something going on I'm not saying it would make everyone feel better or like placate people who feel very strongly about the matter but at least it would show some awareness that it can't be just the same guys doing the same coaching sessions to the same players uh, because look where we are. We're in the same position or worse off than we were last year. Actually, someone sent a tweet saying we've, we're, we've exactly the same amount of points at this point of the season than we did last year. I found it's, that a little bit It's almost hard. as if we're a club locked in some kind yeah. of stasis. I'm eh? finding that a bit hard to believe. What is, is that real? What's the league table at this, at this moment in time? Let me just check this out. Um, well, but, I mean, if that's true, then that just tells you how far off the pace so many other teams fell last season because it never felt like we were in this much trouble. You know? Yeah, we were close-ish to Leicester. Yeah, okay. So after after twenty-eight games, we have won fifteen, drawn six, and lost seven. So that's after twenty-eight games. So let me go back to last season and go to match after. Did I say twenty-eight games? Mm-hmm. Okay, 28 games. Here we go. Jesus, 50. Yeah. <laughs> Played 28, mm. won 15, drawn six, lost seven, 51 points. No. Yeah. And we were just six points off Leicester. But of course, the thing about last season was everyone else was doing much worse. Yeah, that's Tottenham. It. Tottenham were ahead of us but only three points ahead of us. Manchester City were four points behind. Manchester United were four points behind. Chelsea were 12 points behind, all the way down in 10th. I mean, the the, the 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 obvious conclusion is that we're not dramatically worse than we were last season. It's just that a lot of teams are, are better to us 
yeah, are a lot better than they were. They've mm. improved. They've evolved. They've moved forward. They have changed, and we have stayed very much the same mm. and are suffering. Because last season was kind of a, a freak, I think, really. You know, the fact that Leicester won the league tells you a lot of the big clubs just weren't really at it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, to answer the question, is it a thing... What was the question? Is it a shit idea, Henri and Is Vieira, it a shit idea? Well, Henri might be. Maybe Vieira won't be. Bergkamp, I would have Dennis Bergkamp back to do whatever the hell he liked. He could, like, pick his own job. I don't really care. He could mm. just come back and, like, whatever. He could still play. If he wanted to come back and play, I'd let him do that. Yeah. You know? But, you know, there has to be. If that's what it is, again, this comes back to the clarity in the club being open with people and telling people what's going on. So... It might well be. It would explain, to some extent, why there's been a delay. If there are, if if the announcement is dependent on other things, if the if the Arsene Wenger d- announcement is dependent on other things, but the the real reason why the Arsene Wenger announcement is dependent on anything at all is results, right? If Arsenal were riding high in the league right now, they'd announce Arsene Wenger regardless of whether it was Patrick Vieira, Dennis Bergkamp, Thierry Henry, Robert Perez, Freddie Jumberg, whoever the hell else, you know, they would just be completely and utterly a thing on its own. But now they need something else to to make it happen. So, so there you go. That's what I think. Hey, yeah, yeah. I've just realised, remember, we, we promised we'd do some predictions. Yeah. We should get around to those. We right? should, yeah, because, uh, yeah, we need to wrap this up. But anyway, okay, this this is from Rosser Gunner, who's Rosser underscore Gunner, and he says, can you please do our results predictions like you did last season uh, at the same time you had us below Spurs? I think that's the way we uh, ended up last season. We, f- we predicted that we would finish below Spurs. So there are two fixtures that we'll put at the end that we don't quite know when they're going to happen yet. One is Southampton and one is Sunderland that have been rearranged because of because of uh, FA Cup involvement. But yeah. let's do it. So I'll keep this thing. I'm going to do it on a post-it and I will keep the post-it on the, uh, on the desk in front of me so we can always refer back to it. So starting with the game on Wednesday night against West Ham. So I think we'll win that game. I yep. think we'll win that game. Yeah, I, I said as much in the first half. Uh, yeah, I think that's an Arsenal win. Okay, I agree. I think we'll win. I think okay. we'll win. So three points from me. Three points from both of us on that one. Crystal Palace away. I also, th- I also think we'll win. Although, that uh, you know, they're one of those kind of Stokey West Bromy teams now, where uh, you know they worry me a little bit. Sam Allardyce, but isn't it? They exactly just beat Chelsea. They just beat Chelsea. But I think... I'm going to be an optimist, guys. I, I'm going to say we're going to win that one. Yeah, narrow narrow win for me on that one. Narrow win. Exactly. We then face Middlesbrough away. I think we should win that game. I don't think Middlesbrough any great shakes. 23 points, five adrift in the relegation zone. I've gone for three consecutive wins. I mean, people oh, are no. going to be flabbergasted at home. Crazy, crazy. But I also am going for, yeah, I'm coming with you on that one. I'm going for a win. Middlesbrough can't score goals. And I think even though we'll probably gift them a goal or two, uh, I think we'll, I think we'll win that one. Um, so we've got an FA Cup semi final on Sunday after that Middlesbrough game, which is on a Monday night. Boo, two Monday night games, actually, Crystal Palace and Middlesbrough. But then we've got a Wednesday game against Leicester City. 
in uh, the Emirates Stadium. Hey, 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 hey. I mean, Leicester have turned things around, haven't they? I mean, mm. they're suddenly picking up points all over the place. Uh, climbing up the table into 13th now by the Emirates Stadium, off the back of three consecutive wins. The momentum going, mm. they've confirmed Vieira's coming back, Burkamp's coming back. Cabadillaras, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the new director of football. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think another Arsenal win. Right, I'm not as confident. I can't believe this. I mean, this isn't going to happen, is it? But anyway. I'm going for a draw in that one. Okay. Going fair. for a draw in that one. And then the following Sunday at half past four. What a great time for a North London derby at White Hart Lane. That's, Oof. you know, what could go wrong there when people have been drinking all day long? That's a hard one to call. No, I don't think so. <laughs> Although, no, hang on. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking at it through the prism of the, the current situation where, in fairness... Uh, things have been a bit grim. Who yeah, knows? I mean, some the- ten points from twelve games. Anything could change. I think. Do you know what? I'm going to say draw because I think that'll be good enough for Spurs. To be honest, if they can keep us at arm's length, I think they'll be happy with that. So I think we, we might get a point there. Hmm. No, not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. But you know what, though, I'm going to predict a win. Wow. I'm going to predict a win there. I just feel like somebody is going to do something to make us feel all right. Okay. I yeah, maybe it's the wine. Yeah, it's the wine. <laughs> um, Manchester United then, at home. A draw for me. Draw. I just think Mourinho will just you know box himself in and get a point. What about you? I think we're going to lose. I think we're going to lose that one, to be honest, just because it's like, just because it's Mourinho and that's tends to be what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it before. Then it's a way to Stoke. Mm, we're going to win. Do you really think so? Yeah. Yeah. I think we'll lose that Law one. Law of averages. Law of averages. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah, eventually. Science is on my side here, James, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with a loss for Arsenal in that one. Mm, Okay. Uh, Um, I've seen us play Stoke before. And then the final final game of the season is Everton at home. Yes, in the The, Intertoto Cup playoff or something. (laughs) (laughs) The battle for the Europa League. Who will be the the catalyst for change? Yeah. I'm going to say Arsenal win. I think Everton will be... Will be cooked by then. All right. Uh, um, probably Lukaku will have stopped playing because they'll know he's going and all sorts. I'm going to go uh, for a draw in that one. I'm going to go for. Okay, a draw. now there are two more games, aren't there? Yeah, there are. There's Southampton away. I mean, that feels like a match we might lose. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to say a draw. A draw. Um, I'm going to go for a win there. Definitely the wine. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, Sunderland. Sunderland. Where's that? It is at home. Oh, it's at home because we be already beat them in the Stadium of Light, if you remember. Olivier Giroud. Giroud came off the bench. Yeah. I think that's got to be a win. Yeah, it has to be a win. So, remarkably, remarkably, I have us down as one, two, three, four, five, six, seven wins, two draws and a defeat. And so you have three points. You have one, two, three, four, 
five, six wins, three draws and a defeat. So you have us on 23 and I have us on 21. Mm. Okay. Uh, from an available... 30. 30. Hmm. Uh, that would, that would, I mean, you know, are we being very optimistic there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I think we are. I think, how many ciders have you had? Oh, just one, but I'm very tired, I'll confess. That would take us to... Is it a gigantic the, cider? Like a, it is quite... A yard it's of magnum. cider. It's a magnum, <laughs> magnum cider. cider. Um, I think that, and that would take us above 70 points. Mm. Which should be under normal circumstances. It generally is enough for the top four, but it has happened. Spurs, I think, missed out with over 70 points once upon Let's a time. see, last year's table... Um, yeah, well, fourth we place. Realized was... that last year's table isn't worth the okay. paper it's written on, frankly. Okay, so that would give if if my predictions came true, we would have seventy four points, and you you would have seventy two points. So last year we're counting out 2014, 15, 70 points got you to fourth place. Twenty thirteen, fourteen. Oh no, you would be out of it. Seventy nine points, and we were in fourth on seventy nine points. What we give for? F- 79 points right now. 2012, 13, 73 points. So I'd get us in and you'd see us out. And 2011, 12, that's the last one I'm going to do. 69 points got Tottenham into fourth place. So... I mean, basically what we're learning is for for it to happen, we need about 20 points from the last 30 available. Minimum. Minimum, yeah. I think, and, yeah. And that's with other people slipping up. Mm. Okay, two two very final quick questions. Mm. This one comes from Samcon nine nine four, and he wants to know what are your thoughts on James trying to relive his teenage years with that ear stud, <laughs> like the Gazidis thing. I don't know what this is. <laughs> uh, that was a, another April Fools. I'm afraid I put an Instagram of me with a lovely uh, diamond in my ear, and it was false. Uh, I just did it. I bought it. It's magnetic, actually. I bought it as a prop for a thing, and uh, I just wanted to scare my relatives. And let me tell you, it worked. Why would they be scared? Because I think they felt I'd made a terrible life choice. <laughs> but have you never had your your no never pierced? never ever nothing on my body? I would do actually. I I I quite liked it, but uh, I'm not sure that everyone else felt it suited me. Right. Yeah, I had my yeah, ear, yeah. ear pierced when I was a younger man. Just one? Just one, yeah. Just my left yeah. ear. That yeah, yeah, that's the one. Mm. I, I, you know, I'd consider it. Did it hurt? Did it hurt? No. No, I don't think so. Um, It was, like, done by a dude with a gun thing. It wasn't something I sure, did myself. Sure. Like, like, not in prison of, or something. Yeah, a pack yeah. of peas and just <laughs> didn't do that. Um, mm. No, it didn't, didn't hurt. Didn't hurt. But, you know, there comes a point where, you know... Has it closed up now? Uh, I I think so. It probably has, although the hole is still... You wouldn't like to try and find out. Well, you know know what I might do? What I'll try and do, James, is before the next uh, Arsecast Extra, I will will buy an earring, and I I will see if I can force the earring through the hole. I'd actually like you to do that on air if you can. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this could be dangerous. Is this the this is the wine again? I think you consenting to this. Yeah, it could well be. Could well be. But hey, look, I've said it now, so I'm gonna have to gonna have Stick to do it. it. Yeah. 
Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, all right. Final question is uh, from the Stude, who's at mm. Zap eighty three. Um, like Zap Zap Brannigan, I wonder. Possibly. Alert the men. Um, he says, uh, maybe I should should we read this in Zap Brannigan's voice because yeah, that would go be ahead. okay. Okay. Let me try this. All right. He says. After Arsene Wenger's furious bottle throwing, what would your ideal item to throw in a moment of Arsenal-induced frustration? <laughs> Is that any good? Yeah, it's pretty good actually. It was like he was like he was here on the show in the room. I think in the room, I uh, would throw. I mean. It's tempting to say grenade, isn't it? I mean, that's the one that would have most impact. <laughs> well, he says, he says, the stewed says, uh, mine would be an egg, raw or cooked. Now, I've got an issue with that. It's, well, is it a hygiene issue? Not really is a hygiene issue. Is it a salmonella issue? issue? No, I mean, I just think that, like, if it was cooked, it wouldn't be a true representation of your frustration, would it? Like, I'm very frustrated. I must get one of these cooked eggs that I brought with me specifically for this purpose. So I'd, So the thing is, it would, it would scare me because I don't like boiled eggs. I don't trust the consistency or the way they move. And Hang in on, fact, what? You don't like boiled Yeah. And in fact, I, I dislike them so much that for April Fool's, my girlfriend put some boiled eggs in my bed. <laughs> in your bed? <laughs> were, they, yeah. were they shelled? Yeah. Right. She soiled my sheets with some boiled eggs. It <laughs> could be worse, but... Um, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so that would be... If you were going to use a missile against me... I mean, I'm opening myself up to all sorts of problems here because people are going to be chucking eggs at me in the street every time I walk around Highbury. But, uh, yeah, that would really... I mean, that would... Oh. I would put the put the willies. And, up and here, do do you not like to eat boiled eggs? No, 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 no. I went for a ramen the other day, and there was just a boiled egg, just like yeah, that's you know, good. That's a really nice sat part in the soup. Of it. Yeah. Why was there an egg in the soup? I was furious about it. I took the egg out of the soup. I gave it to my friend. He ended up with two eggs in his soup. If you should go for a ramen with me, you get two eggs in your soup because I'm not having it. Right. I like boiled eggs. I don't like when the yolk is uh, uh, cooked all the way through. I think that's disgusting. Sure. Like, cooked egg yolk is bleh. It's got to be yeah. runny. That's the whole point. That's where you get all this. I like this. scrambled eggs. Yeah. I like fried eggs. I'm not eating a boiled egg. It's mental. Right. I. Uh, yeah, okay. Fine. Look, to each their own. To each their own. So, I don't think his egg-throwing idea is that bad. Right. But what would you but throw? I would throw... For... I don't know. What, who am I throwing it at again? Well, you know, Arsene Wenger throws a bottle of water down. He's like, Ding! and the bottle That's of water... That's what he's got access to, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. It's got to be access. So what would you throw? Like Steve Bold? Yeah. Just pick up Steve Bold and like... Yeah, or yeah. oh, Santi Cazorla. I think you'd get a greater distance, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, if you gave him a good old swing. S- Santi's injured again. I know. Sad times. I shouldn't have brought it up. Really, mm. He's going to end the podcast on a downer. Um, throwing Steve Bold would be good if he made impact. I mean, throw Granite Xhaka. He's bound to hurt somebody. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> any collision with him seems to involve some element of danger. Um, I'd, I'd like Arsene Wenger to have more, you know, better stuff to throw. Variety Javelin, of objects. maybe. Yeah. Spears, yeah. 
<laughs> spears. That'd be good if people just launching spears from the touchline. Yeah, it just hits someone in the pitch, like just, just stake them through the heart in the middle yeah. of the game. Well, that's what you get for doing that silly thing that you shouldn't have done. Yeah, maybe. Or, you know, what are good things to throw? Sticks? Balls? Stars. Yeah. No, yeah, stars. Those, like, uh, ninja stars. Ninja things. stars. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't... Uh, do you ever watch that episode of um, South Park where Butters gets a ninja star in his eye? No, I haven't seen Never seen, seen it, that one. They pretend no, to be... No. It's like a crossover manga episode, but they pretend to be, like, uh, superheroes. And right, right, right. someone throws a ninja star at Butters and it hits him right in the eye. And then he sort of goes crawling along the road, poor old Butters, and gets covered in fur. They try and take him to a... They're afraid of getting in trouble, so instead of taking him to a doctor, they, they, they glue some fur onto him and take him to a vet and pretend he's a puppy. Um, but no, you should watch that. It's, it's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's an inevitable course of action. Yeah. Um, what would you have? What would you throw? What would I throw? See, I like, you know, I like the idea of a raw egg because there's a satisfying sort of splat to it when it, when it lands. It's good because know? the shell has an impact and then the splat has a kind of, you know, humiliating follow-up. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's good. It's hard to be a raw egg, actually. Egging someone is, you know, pretty vicious. Yeah. But I'm, you know, I'm also aware that that egg could feed a starving child. And I, sure. I, I wouldn't want to live with that guilt you know, so maybe, yeah. maybe what I would do is I would invent like an egg that came back to you, like a boomerang. So you could throw a the boomerang. egg, yeah, like a cross between a boomerang and an egg. You throw it. How do you lay a boomerang? Doesn't it just pop back into the chicken? <laughs> well, I don't know, James. Which came first, the chicken or the boomerang? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't think know. a boomerang is a nice idea. Well, so it hits the person, explodes, but still returns. The pieces sort of gather again. Yeah, it's like Terminator 2 where he shoots it. It's into like Terminator, and exactly. Sort of, like, comes back together and then just uh, arrives back at your feet or your hand. You just, it's environmentally friendly. There's no waste. It's it's an amazing it's an uh, amazing object to throw. That was the obvious answer. Mm. I don't know why we didn't think of that earlier. The boomer egg. All right, listen. This half has gone on very long, actually. Jesus, we've gone long. I mean, that's what happens if you have a wine during the podcast. It is. It is. All right. Well, look. Um, thank you for uh, for your Sunday evening. It's been a pleasure. Oh, uh, thank you for yours, and thank you. Everyone for listening. Thank you, of course, for listening. We have got a game against West Ham on Wednesday, so fingers crossed for that. We also have a game at the weekend against... I know we just did this, didn't we? Who the hell are we playing at the weekend? Crystal Someone Palace. on Monday. Palace, yeah. Oh, Monday. Oh. Up schedule, as usual. Now, for fuck... Oh, I fucking hate Monday football. Jesus Christ. Oh. They've just ruined our weekends. I know. I know. Bastards. I wish well, I had, I Arsenal wish... aren't playing, so they might have made our weekend, to be honest. <laughs> I wish I had a boomer egg right is. now. I could throw that oh. boomer egg so hard. All right, well, look, we, we will have an cast on Friday to talk about the game next week, dickhead Premier League. Um, but we'll catch you on... Oh, that means no cast extra till Tuesday. 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 There we go. All right, well, we will catch you next Tuesday. Thank you, everyone. Um, enjoy your lives. Bye-bye.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 